Welcome to Following the Fire, a podcast about rethinking everything and following God through the wilderness, wherever we are led. This episode is part of a study series in which we really dig into a single topic across several episodes. If you like these special series, you can get them a full month before everyone else by supporting the podcast at patreon.com slash following the fire. And a huge thank you to all of our Patreon supporters. The support means so much to us. Now, on with the show. Because you are good to me. Hey, welcome to the podcast. Steve here. Since Nathan and I started the podcast a few months ago, we've had a lot of requests for different kinds of topics and what you guys want to hear about and what you'd like us to discuss. One consistent topic that people have come back to over and over, and it's actually one of the reasons we started the podcast, is the topic of science and faith, science and the Bible, science and God, however you want to, however we want to phrase it. And we did an episode, uh, episode 12 actually, was uh, entitled Don't Give Moses Horns which probably means not what you think it means. So if you haven't listened to that episode, please do. So what we're going to do is I'm going to be doing a few podcasts by myself, kind of a series that we're going to shuffle into the feed. It's not going to be all at once. But they're all going to be on the topic of science, God, and the origins debate. I think one of the reasons a lot of people have asked for this topic to be discussed is it's really a core problem for people who are believers in God and believers in Scripture. You're going to come across discussion about science and faith and how if, you're, if you believe in the Bible, it's fairy tales and unicorns, but if you believe in science, it's real. And I think as a part of, a lot, I've spoken to a lot of people for whom this is either the deal breaker or if nothing else, the instigator of their deconstruction or their distancing from faith or distancing from God, or however you want to phrase it. Because it's it's a really hard topic because, I mean, for one, we've got a lot of ancient documents, the Bible, and some of the stories in there are kind of fantastical, to be honest. I mean, I get why people say it's fairy tales and unicorns, basically. Because it's it's difficult to understand language. It's language that we don't know, Hebrew and Aramaic and all that. But then you have science. It's so hard and fast. You can measure it. You can track it. And sometimes we get so hung up on the minutia of, for example, the age of the earth. Science does not show us that the earth was created in seven days, for example. Science does not show us that we have one couple as the progenitor of all humanity. So I, I I get the I get the 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 discord and the problems. Since I was a little kid, it's been a very area of big concern for me, and I my views have shifted back and forth and all over the place. And it's a really it's a passion it's a passion project for me, sort of, to convey to people that this perceived disconnect between faith and God is not it's not really real. There's a definitely a disconnect between the way some people have interpreted scripture and the way people and the way science works. But I think that when you really delve deep into it, I think you guys will see the I th- I think it's a beautiful 
coexisting of the two. So that's enough preamble. I would really encourage you to write to me, uh, write to the podcast. It's followingthefirepodcast at gmail.com or go to followingthefire.com. You can hit me up on Twitter. It's at HeySteveMartin. And let me know if you guys have any questions or comments or anything that you want me, a direction you'd like me to go. So I'm not sure how many episodes this is going to be, but we're going to get started. Since these will be episodes about creation, God, and science, I thought it'd be fun to start out with each episode with kind of a cool, amazing example of how science, to me, shows God's glory and, and, and power in things. Before we get going with this example, I want to remind everybody of the concept of the God of the gaps. Now, the God of the gaps just is a term referencing the, the way of thinking that if there's something in nature that I can't describe or that science cannot understand, dark matter, for example, or how light works, then there, therefore that is a proof that God exists. That's not what these examples are about. I just think they're cool. <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm, I'm obviously, you know, admittedly a nerd, and I, but I wanted to share some of these things with you just because they're kind of mind-blowing. And I think that they do show the variety that God has allowed to, to exist on this earth. So as far as these examples go, they're just kind of for fun. They're kind of interesting. So the first one, I, this, this blows my mind. It's the immortal jellyfish. I don't know if you guys have heard about this. It's, it's tiny jellyfish. It's like five millimeters across. And it's biologically immortal. And it's found in the Mediterranean Sea and, and in the waters of Japan, around Japan. And it's one of the few known cases of animals capable of reverting completely to a sexually immature colony stage after having reached sexual maturity and as a solitary individual. So, so these little guys, they begin their life as a sweet, free-swimming tiny larva, and they settle down on the ground, and they make a colony of polyps that are attached to the seafloor. And then these polyps become genetic clones of the original jellyfish, and when they're big enough, they detach and they go on about their lives. But if an immortal jellyfish is exposed to environmental stress or physical attack of some sort, or maybe if it's even sick or just old, it actually reverts and shrinks down into the polyp stage, forming a new polyp colony, and then it gets big again. So we have no idea how old these things can get, but they're fascinating. And I'll put some links in the show notes and a picture to show you guys what these things look like. I mean, they look like jellyfish, don't no, don't get too excited, but they're, they're pretty fascinating. So one of, what I want to do today is I made a comment near the, I believe it was near the end of episode 12, about how God gave us both his word and his world, and they do not disagree. I mentioned how I stole that from the BioLogos organization. That's biologos.org. But I, I wanted to look at how this plays out in practice. So to help us to get some perspective on this, I want to go back into history. One of the biggest debates we have in Christianity now is the age of the earth. 
There are young earthers and old earthers, and there's everything in between. And now the age of the earth specifically is a, is a huge controversy that we will address, but not today. However, had I been recording this podcast 500 years ago, the age of the earth would have not been a big deal at all. The big controversy 500 years ago was, does the earth move? So let's go back to Aristotle. Since the 4th century BC, beginning with Aristotle, the, the mainstream Western belief was really that the earth was fixed in space. And I'm sure you guys have heard this before. Aristotle was convinced that the earth was in the middle and the universe rotated around us. And, I mean, it kind of makes logical sense because from our perspective, the, the moon clearly goes around the earth and the sun and stars seem to go around the earth. And as the flat earthers are telling us these days, if the earth was spinning, why aren't we flung out into space? And if you throw an orange up in the air, it comes straight back down into your hand like you're not moving. So if we're moving through space so fast, why don't we feel a strong wind in our face at all times? I mean, these are all, these sound like they're all modern day flat earther ideas and explanations for things, but they're honestly from like basically Aristotle. But the ideas from, from of Aristotle were translated from the Greek in the thir 13th century, and they really influenced the beliefs of the Catholic Church at the time. I mean, the fixed earth seems to fit well into, into with what the Bible said. Once again, flat earthers use this ex examples all the time. So if you look at the Bible and it, with a quote-unquote plain reading and don't look deeper into it, the fixed earth does seem to fit in well with the, what the Bible quote-unquote said. First Chronicles 16.30 says, Tremble before him all the earth. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Psalm 93.1 says, Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Psalm 104 says, He set the earth on its foundations so that it should never be moved. First Samuel 2.8 For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. You, you, you get the idea. Plus, the Bible seems to not only teach that the earth was fixed, it seems equally clear that the sun is what was moving. Uh, we have in Psalm 19.4, In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving its chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the heaven, end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. And then, the sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises, Ecclesiastes 1.5. So, you know, if I'm a 13th century priest or whatever, I'm reading these things, pretty obvious. The sun moves, the earth does not move. And then I got Aristotle backing me up. Well, then along came Copernicus. Everybody in the Catholic Church was happy about what their what their view of the cosmos was. And in, in 1543, Copernicus published his scientific theory that the Earth actually went around the sun, not the other way around. And the religious leaders at the time, not just the Catholics, everybody thought he, he was crazy. They thought it was a ridiculous idea. I mean, Martin Luther, not a Catholic, once said about the idea, he said, 
As Holy Scripture tells us, so did Joshua bid the sun stand still and not the earth. And luckily for Copernicus, he was never actually persecuted for the church by his idea, because mostly because he died the day his book was published. <laughs> Had he lived, it would not probably have gone well for him. But then came Galileo. And Galileo also took this heliocentric idea, heliocentric meaning sun in the middle. He took this idea and ran with it. And he used his telescope that he invented to observe and discover much more than Copernicus ever did. And Galileo published his famous book. Unfortunately, Galileo was very much alive when he began publishing his findings in 1632. And the church was not pleased. Possibly also because he wrote another book saying the Pope was a nitwit, but, you know, sure that didn't help him. But he was silenced and forced to recant his claims and placed under house arrest for the rest of his life. Now, in the atheist and the non-Christian world, um, Galileo is actually uh, is, is often used as a prime example of the Christian ignorance versus scientific atheism argument about how Galileo theoretically the atheist in the in this scenario, was persecuted by a stupid, ignorant church who believed in fairy tales. But what we sometimes some people don't realize is Galileo was actually a very strong believer. One of the things he said was, I do not feel obliged to believe that the same God who has endowed us with senses, reason, and intellect has intended us to forgo their use and by some other means to give us knowledge which we can attain by them. So in other words, he thought, if God has given us this knowledge and the ability to understand it, then what I'm understanding make, should make sense for what God has done. And he believed that the laws of nature were written by the hand of God, quote, in the language of mathematics, and that, quote, human mind is a work of God and one of the most excellent. So while the tale of Galileo is a sad one for science, and honestly a sad one for the church because it's given the church a really bad name and Christians a bad name over the years. It was actually a Christian fighting Christianity about what science said. So looking back at the story from our modern perspective, I think I think it helps us to look at this question from an entirely different point of view. I'm guessing that there are not a lot of fixed earthers listening to this podcast because we've figured it out. We don't believe this anymore because later, Scripture was better understood to not be making scientific statements about the movement of the earth in the cosmos. In other words... All those verses I mentioned earlier in the Old Testament that say that the earth did not move and was on pillars set by God used to be understood as meaning that it literally did not move in the sky and everything would move around it. But since Galileo's time, further biblical scholarship has led to the point where we understand that those verses do not literally mean that it's not moving in the sky. They're metaphorical to make a point. Now, I mentioned that the, this idea of the two books, about how the word and the world. And this is basically an idea that Galileo had, that the word and the world are the two books written by God. One of the things he said, quote, 
The glory and greatness of Almighty God are marvelously discerned in all his works and divinely read in the open book of heaven. Love that quote. So, if God is the author of nature and the author of science, then there can't be a conflict. Where the conflict arises is science, which is the human interpretation of nature, and biblical interpretation or biblical scholarship, which is the human interpretation of scripture, when those two things don't agree. So nature and and scripture, if they're both provided and written by God in in this metaphor, if nature and scripture are written by God, there will be no conflict. But when science and biblical interpretation conflict, that's a human problem. So if there is a conflict, then we either got science messed up or we got our interpretation of the Bible messed up. A non-Christian, when they see this conflict, the knee-jerk reaction is to say that the fairy tale is wrong. And then that quickly leads to the Bible is inaccurate, the Bible is wrong, it's made up, blah, blah, blah. And then you toss out, this, toss out the whole thing. But on the Christian side, if there's a conflict, the knee-jerk reaction is to say that science is wrong or some, find some clever way to make them make science appear right. And I think it's because a lot of Christians are possibly afraid of letting science, they're afraid that it's going to look like science is becoming more important than the Bible. And that's unfortunate because, as we said in previous podcasts, I think that we have vastly misunderstood what Scripture is about and what it's for. Because when this conflict arose with Galileo and Copernicus, was there actually a conflict? No. We just finally figured out what it meant, and we're no longer fixed earthers. So what do we do? What should we do when there's a conflict? My strategy for this is instead of immediately tossing out one or the other, why don't we hold on to both, dig deeper, and figure out which one of those we have wrong? Both aspects have methods to find the the real truth. I mean, how does science find truth? Well, we got the scientific method. It's kind of like a crime scene, right? You look for clues and follow lines of evidence until they start giving you a picture of the truth. And confidence grows in your theory as more lines of evidence are discovered and it becomes more solidified. Well, how do we find the truth in the Bible? Well, it's also an investigation. You have to carefully read through, study the ancient languages, cultures, archaeology, comparison to context, all that stuff. And once again, confidence grows as more lines of evidence are discovered. Now, both have the, obviously have the possibility of coming to the wrong conclusions. And for either one, if something arises to challenge the conclusions, the process needs to start again. One very common problem with when it comes to Scripture is that we assume that it is quote-unquote, clear in the Bible, or the Bible plainly says, or clearly says, fill in the blank. If only it were that easy. Because you've got translations, textual variants, decades, centuries, millennia of time that things can shift and alter. So it is a bit of a, it's a, it's a, bit of a treasure hunt. And to be honest... 
very few people are properly equipped to do all of it on their own. We really need each other. We really need sources and experts on how this stuff works to figure things out. And a lot of times our understanding of Scripture over time reveals the beauty in both Scripture and science. You know, the Bible says, God knit me together in my mother's womb. And science, on the other side, teaches embryology, cell division, chromosomes, DNA, all that cool stuff, and kind of shows how that happened. Now, are those in conflict? No. Is God removed from the formation of babies because I know how the science works? I don't think so. I mean, to me, the science shows the amazing way that God did it all. And the two books idea goes back to Psalms 19, the first half of of the psalm, 1 through 7. I won't read it all here, but the first half, Psalm 1 through 7, is all about nature. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the second half of the psalm is all about God's word, mentioning the the laws and decrees of the Lord are righteous. They're more precious than gold. So... What I want to get across with this episode, this kind of introductory one, is to not be afraid of science. Whatever truth scientists uncover or discover, I believe that those are ultimately come from God. And there's going to be conflicts from time to time. But putting God at the center of things, trying to follow him, science can reveal to us God's amazing handiwork. And there's dangers of ignoring science. I mean, look at the pandemic. So many people died that didn't need to because people were ignoring obvious basic science. So we can't ignore science and we can't ignore what God has to tell us either. We know that the heavens declare the glory of God and we know that the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. We know that Romans one twenty says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power have, and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. So as we go through with these this series of podcasts, just keep that in mind, that they don't have to conflict. And if they do, it's a conflict in an interpretation of something. It's not a conflict in, in the core meaning of things. I want to close with a quote from St. Augustine. It's from his book, The Literal Meaning of Genesis. He says, Usually, even a non-Christian knows something about the earth, the heavens, and this knowledge he holds as being certain from reason and experience. Now, it is a disgraceful and dangerous thing for an infidel to hear a Christian, presumably giving the meaning of Holy Scripture, talking nonsense on these topics. And we should take all means to prevent such an embarrassing situation in which people show up vast ignorance in a Christian and laugh it to scorn. If they find a Christian mistaken in a field which they themselves know well and hear him maintaining his foolish opinions about our books, how are they going to believe these books in matters concerning the resurrection of the dead, the hope of eternal life, and the kingdom of heaven, when they think our pages are full of falsehoods and facts which they themselves have learned from experience and the light of reason? What he's saying is scientists and humans know what they're talking about in some subjects. But when a Christian comes along and claims that that's ridiculous because the Bible clearly says X, Y, Z, they're not going to listen to you. Not only are they not going to listen to you, you've just discredited your entire faith. And that's what's going on today. Christians have taken the Bible 
to a science debate. Now, they may be written by the same author, but they're not the same book. So you start claiming things are one way because the Bible says so, then science says something different, and you're in trouble. So to sum everything up, Bible from God, science from God, they don't disagree, humans screw things up. So as we go along with this series, just keep that stuff in mind, because we're going to look at the Bible in different ways than you maybe have looked at it before. We're going to be spending a lot of time in Genesis 1, because most of the consternation between science and, and the Bible tends to center around that one chapter. Like I said, shoot me an email, podcast at gmail.com. Be happy to get back with you, or we'll address it on the next episode of the podcast. See you later.